We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. Routine Baseball offers the best athletic leisure options going. We're talking shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could ask for. Perfect for all your events and activities this summer. You headed to a game, throw on a nice routine tee and a hat. How about a cookout? Throw on some routine shorts and sunglasses. You'll be super comfortable, no sweat, perfect fit. I just got fitted in my routine stuff, and it's all I want to wear, and it's all I will be wearing this summer. And you can too. All you have to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have. And you can receive 10% off your offer today. Again, all you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10% off your order today. Powered by Riverside. Welcome back to episode 107 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati, as well as our producer, Phoebe. Dan, how are we doing today on this fine Thursday? Going on, Trev. How are you? I can't complain. To our loyal listeners out there, I figured we'd touch base um, and be able to kind of let you know we are coming to you two times this week. I think that's going to be the plan moving forward for Dan and I is to try to get two episodes out of most weeks. Uh, three has become a lot um, at times, especially with the baseball going on. And unless we we're going to cover every day's baseball, like we were a talk show, Christopher Russo on MLB Network. I don't see that as being realistic. So, Dan, any thoughts for our listeners that are calling RIP to the three days a week? If you guys want to do a drive time daily uh, after work hour special call in show with me and Trev, I'm down. Other than that, two times a week in this platform is perfect. If you want to go sports radio every single day, hour long, me and Trev on the phones. You know, Phoebe's going to have to sort the calls. But other than that, I'll do it. But unless you guys, you know, are in on that, two to two times a week is is, is perfect. It's a good sweet yeah, spot. With that- Without uh, college baseball to cover and and the draft and everything that was covering up until the All-Star break, it was very easy to find three episodes a week and and still feel like we were were having some up-to-date coverage. Three three episodes a week would be be tough right now. Yeah, it would would start to feel repetitive. Um, Quick history lesson. If you guys know the story of Pirate Radio, do you guys know that? No. I should got it. This is just, you're just going to hear my ideas here. We're going to waste some time. So I, I believe I, I, you can't fact check me on the era, 70s, 60s, whenever rock and roll was starting to really hit the waves um, in the UK, I believe uh, it got banned. Um, so these people, this group of, of people in the music industry, I guess, uh, got a houseboat, went out off the shores of the UK into international waters, um, but still found a way to get the radio signals in to broadcast rock and roll. It was called pirate radio. Um, Pretty cool. Um, but I'm thinking if we can figure out a way to tap into the New York, you know, radio waves, get ourselves a station up there, 
I think I think I'm onto something with the drive time thing. I think me and you could really build a platform up there of just killing the Mets and Yankees every day and really getting the callers riled up. What say you? I'd be in. There's nothing I enjoy more than torching New York sports teams across the board. Sign me up. Uh I'll definitely, I'll definitely be on board with that. I'll, I'll talk to my agent, um, and, and we'll see what we can, what we can put together, and, and see what the, what the time requirement for that would be. But obviously, we do have baseball that's going on across the MLB. Uh, we're gonna have a lot of NL East flavor today. Uh, we're gonna talk about a couple different things across the NL East. But first, uh, in the most recent happenings was last night, Michael Lorenzen. Uh, he threw a no hitter in his second start with the Phillies after a really good first start as well um classic dave dombrowski special it seemed like the noah Syndergaard came out of the gates pretty good last year with the trade deadline is just seems to pull these tricks out of your hat of why did you add michael lorenzen and then he goes and and has two pretty historic starts for for his first two starts with the phillies so dan i know you were locked in and dialed in um what what's michael lorenzen been doing that's allowed him to be so successful with the phillies yeah, first things first, pretty, always cool when someone throws a no-hitter. It's fun to watch. It's always a cool moment because that's just, you know, if you put yourself in rarefied air, it's something that doesn't happen really, you know, that often. I know we've seen a couple this year, but it's always, you know, something special and, and for everyone to be a part of in kind of a moment. Um, so it was really cool to watch, obviously. And, and first thing about Lorenzen is, is wholly batted ball luck. He's like a batted ball Superhero is expected ERA is almost a run higher than his actual. Uh, he doesn't miss bats too much. But I think the thing that kind of, I don't want to use this term, but he he's not your typical, prototypical of what you see today with a lot of starters. I mean, his stuff doesn't really jump off the page. He's kind of like a, he's a mixed bag, right? He's got a, he's got a tool bag that has a lot of tools in it. I mean, he's just this year alone, he's gone four seam, two seam, change up, slider, sweeper, curveball, cutter. So, you know, I think I just re- rattled off seven different pitches that he's used this year. And um, I think when he came to Philly, Caleb Cotham, who I think does a really good job with all their arms, um, who's actually a teammate of his in 2019, who's Cotham's last year playing, um, kind of just got him to to narrow that down even a little bit more. He had stopped throwing. He hasn't thrown the curveball or cutter since May. So the Tigers, good job by them to cut that out. And then he's come over to Philly and, and he hasn't really used the sweeper. They've gone with more of the hard slider. So in between the cutter and the sweeper kind of is the slider he's been using. And they tinkered with his changeup grip, um, and he's thrown it more in those first two starts, and he's been really good. He's a guy who typically pounds the strike zone, and that's how he finds success because he's just not going to let you breathe. Now, again, that's where the batted ball luck comes in because he's constantly in the strike zone. He doesn't get chased, really. He doesn't get swing and miss. He has a good chase rate, but you know it's it's I think because he doesn't throw that many pitches out of the zone. So his chase rate becomes higher. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he he works on soft contact. That's always a risky game to play. But guys go through seasons sometimes where they have a full season where they're just not getting barreled. And I think that's kind of where we're at with Lorenzen, especially this last month. You know, his last eight, start, eight starts have been ridiculous. And even more credit to Dave Dombrowski for being like, here's a guy who, yeah, he's, going, he's had bad ball luck this year, but he's having it. He's in the middle of a hot streak. We need another arm. I'm going to go get him. He's a free agent at the end of the year, so it might not be your problem if the batted ball luck turns next year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he handles the rest of the season, obviously, Um, being able to kind of 
keep those waves through the course of a season rather than riding a roller coaster and, you know, a couple months span. Cause we can see guys seasons turn around with one or two eggs. I mean, we saw that with Fromber Valdez who was starting to solidify himself as one of the top pitchers across baseball and sure as expected stats weren't great. They were still good. And, and he's just blown up and he threw, he mixed in a no hitter there too um, between a couple, you know, five plus earned run outings. Um, so it's, it'll be interesting to see how Michael Lorenzen is, but at the worst for the Philadelphia Phillies, you know he's going to eat some innings for that team, uh, and they could use that for how many innings that pitching staff logged late into October last year. Get Nola fresh, get Wheeler fresh, get Ranger fresh, and be able to roll those guys into October fully healthy and ready to roll for another push for the World Series. But we're going to stay in Philadelphia here. Uh, we're going to talk about something that's that's quite frankly near and dear to my heart um, and being able to, to support players. Um, it's kind of an ironic thing that you hear about in sports all the time is, is, you know, doing this thing called like cheering on guys when they're struggling. Uh, it's kind of a mind boggling concept, especially in a town like Philadelphia or even a little bit further north up in New York. And trying to do that but Trey Turner comes in from the from the uh road trip that they were on I believe they were in Miami and he had a really rough one uh rough couple games and and I'd started to see on social media that a couple of fans were really pushing to have a standing ovation for his first at bat against the Kansas City Royals um so he comes up and the the fans just absolutely erupted cheered him on he's a guy that you're gonna have locked up for 10 plus years for 300 million uh obviously a guy who's going to be a staple of this franchise for the foreseeable future they just let him you know know that they supported him and and it seemed to really help trey i mean he's been really good since i don't have the numbers off the top of my head it looks like dan's gonna look him up for us um but (laughs) <laughs> but his mom was emotional in the stands and it it was a really cool thing because so many times we get caught up in these you know these these players are athletes and they're paid to perform and and we should be able to reciprocate that performance um and and as fans we should be frustrated if they don't perform but quite frankly i think sometimes it it is a a boost for these guys morales and and ultimately their performances to just hear their fan base actually support them when they're going through the roughest season of trey turner's career so dan obviously as a phillies fan who's probably let ryan howard have it in his career how do you feel about the the uh applause for a guy who's been struggling in in that uniform First off, I resent that. Ryan Howard was my favorite player growing up. I never let Ryan Howard have it. I was always the defender. And if you asked um, the Phillies fans closest to me, they'd tell you that I'm too soft on them a lot of times. I'm too much of a defender. When say, I'm not going to use the word soft. I, I defend them too much. Um, yeah, I didn't really have <laughs> – I wish I had a hot a scolding take on this. Uh I thought I was neither here nor there for the standing of it. It was cool. The the coolest thing for me, I think, is what you just pointed out at the end there is like the the human side of the moment, right? The human side of the player clearly receiving that standing ovation and appreciating it. Because look, Trey Turner has if he's proven anything this year, it's that he's a professional. And he really is a professional. All year long. He hasn't made excuses. He hasn't been flippant with the media. He hasn't gotten upset with the fans. He's consistently, you know held himself accountable for his poor performance. You know, the night that kind of started all of this, they blow a 5 nothing lead, they lose in 12 innings. He was in the middle of that terrible road trip to Pittsburgh and, and Miami where he was hitless. Uh, in the 11th inning, they have a one-run lead with two outs. 
He boots a ball at shortstop. The Marlins end up winning it in 12. The game would have been over. They would have won. He stood there and he said, this loss is completely on me, which isn't the case. He had a 5 nothing lead, but he took he, – he put the loss completely on his shoulders, and I think that's kind of what got the fan base behind him and really started that whole thing. But to me, you know, I know there were a lot of people. There were a lot of people who were super excited about the standing ovations and were all about it, and there were people who hated it and thought it was stupid. Um, I, you know, I thought it was cool to see the human side of it. I think the, one of the coolest parts about it is on Monday morning – on 90 all across the city on 95 and 76 there were billboards that trey turner paid for that was thanking the fans for doing it for saying thank you for having my back and you know that's just again proves what kind of professional trey turner is trey turner is a guy who clearly it goes about his business and and you know he was like you said it's the worst season of his career bar none and but he stood there and been accountable for it all year it's not like he doesn't you know i don't think for a second now, I don't know the guy, but I, I don't think for a second he signed that $300 million contract and kicked his feet up. As a matter of fact, that game in Miami where it all kind of cratered on him, he was hitting. He came out of the cage to answer questions. He was hitting right after the game, after a 12-inning, four-hour game. He was in the cage hitting. He went back and hit more until midnight, and they had a noon start the next day. That's rare to see big league guys do that. So it was cool from that sense of it, to, to see the human side of it. The one thing I will say that as a Philly fan, I am sensitive about, I am so sick and tired of people always just talking about Philly fans. Like it, to me, it has become such a, like, it's just a cheap and lazy talking point for so many people across the country. I, you know, every pot, like everyone wants to bring up the Santa Claus thing from 1960 something, 70 something, and don't even have the facts of the situation. Correct. Like, oh my gosh, we're still talking about people throwing snowballs at Santa Claus 50 years later. It wasn't like it was Santa Claus isn't real first off. So it's not like they were actually throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. They pulled some 18 year old out of the stands who was a terrible Santa Claus. And that's why I got snowballs thrown at him. Um, So you're muted. Go ahead. Jump in. We got we got some young listeners out here. I don't want them believing that Santa Claus isn't real. Dan, the bearer of bad news out here. Sorry, kids. (laughs) Santa Claus isn't real. So like, like, it's just my point is, it's such a lazy narrative to consistently like, oh, what's the lowest hanging fruit? Let's attack Philly fans on our radio show, on our podcast, on our athletic article, looking at you, Ken Rosenthal, you know, Ken Rosenthal writes an article today because, you know, what happened last night with Lorenzen, the fans were fantastic because Philly sports fans, if they are one thing, they are knowledgeable and care about their teams. Like that's what Philly fans are. They're passionate. And you could say a lot of the same for New York fans. And there are always going to be bad callers out there. But I don't see, and, and maybe because I'm not in the market, I don't see the hit pieces that are constantly written about New York fan bases like there are about Philly fans. Um Ken Rosenthal writes an article today that Philly fans have gotten soft. This isn't the Philadelphia I grew up in. This is the same Ken Rosenthal who constantly has written numerous occasions about the Santa Claus incident and booing, has commented on booing. He's the same guy who ripped the fan base for wanting Joe Girardi fired last year, saying it wasn't going to help the Phillies. Oh, yeah, Rob Thompson came in. They went on a run to the World Series. I don't know how much it had to do with it, but you being an idiot and writing an article that the team wasn't going to win anything, I will comment on. This is the same Ken Rosenthal who was upset that fans were mad about the Astros cheating to win a World Series in 2017 in the eighth inning of Game 6 of this World Series. 
went on air on Fox and lectured everyone about how you should feel happy for the organization, even though they cheated, is now calling the Philly fans off for not booing and cheering too hard. And my brother made this point today, the point I just made, and I thought he was absolutely right. It's why I'm repeating it. But like that, like I, I'm just so sick and tired. Why do we always have to talk? I mean, I'll switch sports on you here. There's still 40. I heard a, a radio clip of a San Francisco radio station still crying about the NFC championship game that happened in January, complaining about Philadelphia fans because it's cheap, low hanging fruit. And if that's all you have to talk about, get a new job or figure something else out. I don't know what to tell you, but like, it's just, I'm, I'm so tired of having to react to Philadelphia fans. They're fans, just like everyone else. They're fans. They're, they're New York fans. Like, how come no one brings up when the Atlanta Braves threw a bunch of stuff on the field at umpires in the 2012 wildcard game? Are Atlanta Braves fans the worst fans in the world? Is it hard for free? Do free agents not want to go there to because the fans are going to throw stuff when they don't like a call? I don't hear that. It's not hard to play there. Why not? So I just don't I'm, – I'm tired of that. That's the point I'm trying to make. I'm sick and tired of it. And the one thing I did think was cool was Bryson Stott, Trey Turner, Nick Castellanos, Bryce Harper have all – since Friday night, Rob Thompson, too, talked about how great it is to play in this city and to, to perform in this city. And to me, that's good. I mean, me and you had this conversation earlier. Bryce Harper is probably the best at pandering I've ever seen someone pander in my life. I mean, he's incredible at it. And good for him. That's how you should go about it. If you're going to be linked to a city for 13 years, you might as well run for mayor. And that's what Bryce Harper does. But uh, that's really all I got on it. The standing ovations, yeah, they were cool. It was fine. I'm happy Turner's, Turner's playing a lot better, which is good. And, and so it seems to have, I don't know, I don't know if I, I also don't know if I want to give the fans credit for like it worked and you saved Trey Turner's season. Like, I don't know if that's the case either. <laughs> but yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you had a pause and I think you could tell because I was still on mute that I was looking something up. <laughs> yeah that was at like eight minutes <laughs> and you gave me enough time to scramble i'm so sick of time did you look up the santa claus article no, go ahead look up all i looked up was what his stats were since mm. the standing ovation and he he had, he's for- hitting 391 with a 417 on base with a 696 slugging percentage. His K percentage is down from what it's been this year. Uh, he's only walked once, but he's barreling a lot more baseball. Uh, five of those hits have gone for extra bases. Um, so just pretty impressive. And and little did I know by leaving myself on mute for that extra five seconds while I tried to finish off um, the the research that I was doing, were you going to go on an, an eight-minute um rant about philly fans but i i want to go back i'm gonna go i'm not even gonna respond to your philly comments because i don't really have a thought process behind it but i will say there are certain fan bases that it is harder to play for and philly's one of them but to see the support i think it's just more of why it excites hold me on. why i want to talk about it stop you hold on for certain guys it's harder to play for i think i think that's the caveat that people don't like I don't understand why it's any harder than playing for any of these other places. Because could yeah, you say the, the people other in Oakland fall into that? Like, but wouldn't you say like Oakland is hard to play for for some guys because no one's in the stadium and guys who live off of adrenaline and packed houses will struggle in Oakland? 
I'm sure, but that's not the point I'm trying to make is that as fans, a lot of times we forget that these are athletes and this sport is very hard and it's hard to perform at a high level for a very long time. And when you ride these guys into the ground and don't understand that they are trying and they are putting in the work and they are putting in the effort. And I would say maybe less than 5% of guys that sign long-term contracts go and coast through the end of it. It is. It makes it a lot easier to understand. And no, I'm not going to sit here and say that the fans saved Trey Turner's season, that the fans did anything, but you can kind of just see how much it's helped him be able to handle this season and the struggles that have been, right? And the, my bigger point is to actually bring into the New York side of things, because if there's any place that free agents have consistently failed, it's in pinstripes. and. Yankee fans consistently will tell you that it's just different. It's just different. It's just different. It's just different. But time and time again, I mean, what's the list of guys that have gone on to have all-star caliber seasons post um, Yankee uniforms, right? Like in struggled. I mean, Sonny Gray is a great example of a guy who went on to have multiple really good years. Obviously, Aaron Hicks is very much in the news as of this year. You know, the Joey Gallo situation we've dove into, and he hasn't exactly been great since coming out of the gates hot, but he's been struggling with some injuries. And the list goes on and on and on of guys that just could not, again, handle it. And it always used to bother me when fans used to say, oh, that guy can't handle New York. When I think there is, there should be, right? There should be a personal responsibility of, it's not that this guy can't handle New York. It's that this guy's struggling and we're putting more pressure on the guy to perform, right? And then that's a snowball effect down a hill. Whereas just one, one standing ovation, one support when the guy is at its lowest could be the difference between even if like, would I be shocked if Trey Turner gets this hot streak for seven days and then goes back to struggling in a week? No, like because he's had a bad year, right? He doesn't look like himself. There's a lot of things that he's working through, but to see the positives that can come out of something so simple, right? The standing ovation for a guy who's going to be here for a very long time so simple, right? And I mean, even look at Bryce Harper's tenure in Philadelphia, right? It came out very slow. He hits that grand slam against the Cubs to walk him off, runs around the bases like a little kid, and he's been a rocket ship ever since he's been with that with that organization, right? And he's been MVP caliber player ever since that day. And it's like one of those things that once you finally gain the support of a fan base, that is hard. They're hard to play for, right? They're harder to play for than your typical Tampa Bay Rays fans. And that's not just because they show up. It's because they expect more. It's because they, they're they full of piss and vinegar and they drive up 95 for a game and sit in traffic and get pissed off when somebody cuts them off. And a lot of them are Italians who might be short and short-tempered. Like There's a lot of things that go into why Philadelphia fans and also New York fans have a little bit of a short fuse when it comes to these athletes. But ultimately, it's the little things that can make a difference in a guy's success. The short Italian thing felt like an unnecessary personal attack. You're taller than me. I'm a Philadelphia fan, though, who's a short Italian. That felt a little bit like a personal attack. I'm a short Italian who's not a Philadelphia fan. What's the difference? (laughs) I don't know. You said a lot of them were short-tempered. Short Italians with short tempers. so true, though. Felt felt kind of personal. Um also, I think the Irish, the, the huge Irish conglomerate of Philadelphia fans would be a little bit upset of you calling everyone an Italian fan. Anyway, that's beside the point. Yeah, I'll never disagree with you on the fact that the human side of things, right? Like, 
that's why I think I am softer on him is because one, I've had enough baseball experience, I guess, not that, you know, I've ever sniffed the level these guys are at, but, you know, even as a coach, like just understanding the, inter- you know, I used to do the same thing, the internal pressure or something that I don't think we talk about, like, what was part of, I would believe you if you said, if Trey Turner was completely honest, which he never will be, and sat down and said, the day I signed that contract, I got so much more anxiety. And I think Nick Castellanos is a, a good example of that too last year. Of, and he's another guy who's completely flipped the script just because, again, if, if you go about things the right way, I think generally in a lot of these cities and, and say the right things most of the time, then they're going to end up you know, loving you. Now, Castellanos also got to ride the wave of the postseason run, which was all love and, and fairy tales, which made helped the transition. But this year, he's completely flipped the script. He's one of the most popular players in the city. Um, and and I think that, you know, the human side of things does come into it. And sometimes fans don't recognize that, you know, that they, you know, I don't think there's really, like you said, less than 3% of guys coast or coasting at that level. Because to get to that level, you have to work so hard and be so competitive that that's in your nature, that's in your DNA. You're going to continue to be, you know, be at that level. The guys who have that coast in them don't make it very long. Jamarcus Russell, right? Jamarcus Russell signed that huge rookie contract, and he didn't last what two years in the NFL, three years in the NFL, because that he was that type of guy, you know, like he he coasted. And but you know, I think. Most of the time, they get snuffed out pretty early, and they don't last very long if you have that in you. Um, but yeah, I mean, good, I'm, good for Trey Turner. Like you said, I think you you make a great point when you said that you know if if he's right back to doing what he was doing the last you know four months of the season in a week, it's not surprising he's having a tough year, he's struggling. I don't think this is the Trey Turner you're going to see every year for the next ten years. I think you're going to see a much better one. Now we had this conversation the other day. I don't know if it's ever going to be peak Trey Turner. But it's not going to be, I mean, it's not going to be a sub 700 OPS. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But um, obviously the the mental side of baseball is very important. You know what Trey Turner could use, Dan? BetterHelp. Our friends over at BetterHelp. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor at BetterHelp. Maintaining your mental health is super important, but finding the right mental health services for you can be difficult. BetterHelp provides an easier way to get professional help. BetterHelp connects you with a therapist custom-picked for you and has flexible scheduling, all at a more affordable price and from the comfort of your own home. BetterHelp would like to give our listeners 10% off their first month. All you have to do is head over to betterhelp.com slash backsideground_balls to get that 10% off your first month. Anybody who might have any just general anxiety, maybe even some performance anxiety, maybe you're dealing with some pressure, whether it be at work. Maybe you have people booing you when you have a bad day at work and you don't file that paperwork or type that email out properly. BetterHelp is the service for you. Head over to betterhelp.com slash backsideground_balls to get 10% off your first first month so dan what do you have trey to turner, add in on there trey turner just hit a go-ahead to run home run in the sixth inning so maybe philly fans fixed him yeah i, I mean that's awesome that's that's good for him <laughs> i mean he's been he's on he's been on a good stretch right now yeah I mean, there's, there's been no a good seven that. games it's, yeah. it's been yeah exactly it's been six days it was last friday when they gave him the standing ovation and obviously it's been a huge uh huge uh part of his success recently but Another guy who's having a ton of success this year, and I mean, I don't want to say it's come as a surprise to most people, but um, is Matt Olson. 
I mean, and really we could probably parlay this into a Matt Olson and Freddie Freeman conversation because Freddie Freeman has been absurd. And don't be surprised if if Freddie Freeman ends up being the, the NL batting average leader by one season comes to the end because he is on an absolute heater right now. But when Freddie Freeman walked from the Atlanta Braves, they made a trade the day after he signed that contract with the Dodgers uh, to send Shea Langliers, Ryan Cusick, Christian Pache, and one other piece um, to the Oakland Athletics. And right now, Christian Pache is playing in the NL East for the Philadelphia Phillies. Shea Langliers is just a league average catcher, and, and the other two guys aren't doing too much. But Matt Olson's sitting right now in his second year in Atlanta. He's hitting 265, 375 OBP, 600 slugging with a 975 OPS, 155 OPS plus, meaning he's 55% better than league average. He's got 40 home runs and 100 RBIs as of today, tying Shohei Otani uh, for the league lead in home runs, and it's August 10th. So you can imagine you can start to dream on 50 home runs for Matt Olson and potentially 120 RBIs eyes. Um, and before we get into some of the changes that I have noticed that since the transition with the with the Braves specifically, Dan, what are your kind of thoughts on Matt Olson and, and the success that he's had this year? I mean, it, it, Alex Anthropolis, man, like I've been saying this for a while now. I don't know if we've gone too deep into the Braves, but it's, it's the best offense. Like if you give me five seconds to answer, and I think I did this to you, like it's the best, one of the best offenses I can remember watching in my lifetime. I mean, it's insane. And it's, it's nine guys deep. Um, and he's a huge piece of it. I mean, and one of the things that jumps out is a 98% barrel percentage, right? Cause as hitters, what are you trying to do? You're trying to, you're trying to square up the baseball. That's all you can do. The rest is out of your control. You're trying to be on time and put the, the right part of the bat on the ball. And he's done it at an elite rate this year. Um, and this is a guy who's always been had that he's had this in him, right? And we've seen these flashes before. Um, we haven't quite seen the average in the past, but I mean, you're talking about a guy who, you know, he's always had 40 home run power. I mean, and he's done it before. And you know, just just to see this, it's been it's been incredible. It really has. He's really started to heat up. Really, I think since the beginning of June, when that offense kind of skyrocketed. He's been in the center of it. Um, and you can't throw – like the most impressive thing to me that I've seen is, is Matt, Matt Olson used to be a typical power guy where there were, there were holes. You know, there might not have been a lot of them, but there were holes where you could go get him. Um, you could get in on him sometimes. He would go through stretches where you could really, you know, rush him. There were times where you could spin him to death. And he, you know, especially in Oakland, I remember he had a year in Oakland that was just terrible. He was getting spun to death. There is no hiding for Matt Olson. Right now, he gets to everything. If in, he can spin on it. Breaking, he can spin on it. And I think you have a little more on kind of the team approach and the adjustments that he's made that's kind of helped him get to that. But it's just impressive because there's, you know, he's covered up a lot of the holes and he's putting the barrel on everything. And he's a huge, I mean, Acuna's the MVP probably, but that offense without this guy in it this year, it changes. Changes everything. Mm -hmm. And anytime you have a guy who hit 40, if you take him out, obviously it's easy to say that. But like he's been that good where there's been times where it's just like get a guy or two on for Olsen and this game's going to be flipped on its head. This is, I mean, this is a guy who, I mean, we've seen seasons like this for him. I mean, in 2021, he hit 39, uh, hit 271, had 111 RBIs for an Oakland A's team that just wasn't that good. Uh, quite frankly, obviously they ended up trading him, but it's funny because he 
a lot like Corey Seager, right? You see last year he had 44 doubles. The year before he had 35. He had 33 in another full season. You can kind of picture the fact of like, hey, if those doubles start to turn into home runs, he's going to push 50-55. And this year they have. I mean, he's cut his, he's matched his total by five uh, for home runs. He had 34 last year. He has 39 or 46 uh, than last year. But he's only got 20 doubles. A couple of those balls are just getting that extra giddy up. And it's funny because I remember following him along last year. Obviously, he had a good year um, above average, but not up to his standards of what he was coming off of in 2021. And I remember being like, he's close. I mean, he was he was guaranteed double off the wall every weekend, um, but they were off the wall and you just kind of couldn't. You were like, what did he need to change? I mean, he still was an elite barrel guy, a top three percent in exit velocity. Well, he's taken his exit velocity from 92.9 all the way up to 95.1. His barrel, to, his ability to get to the barrel more consistently is the difference. I mean, you're talking about uh, two full miles per hour in batted ball average. Every at-bat, right, is amazing in terms of getting that extra five feet of carry of turning a 44 doubles into 40 bombs on august 10th with only 20 doubles and he's he's easily going to push to push 50 this year because he's on an absolute heater right now and what people were concerned about at the beginning of the year and this is probably the most impressive thing for me that he's done this year is a lot of people were starting to whisper about the whiff percentage oh he was three true outcomes he was three true outcomes i mean his walk rate went up he's one of the best uh, at getting on base in the league but he was sitting at like a 30% plus after like the month of april and the month of may in terms of his k percentage he's knocked that down so he is not only barreling everything and he's trending in the right direction in the whiff category still below league average but you're talking about a guy who in terms of what he's been able to do since the first couple months of this season he has actually gotten so much better in terms of his quality of contact and his consistent contact and that's why we're seeing him flush barrels consistently and just absolutely hitting bombs every weekend and every time you turn on a Braves game you feel like he's hitting a home run to give them the lead yeah, so there's that great video by Dante Bichette that talks about um, basically partying out in front, and, and and you know that's where a lot of loft comes from is when you can catch things out in front. And guys, you know, a lot of home run hitters sacrifice getting fooled and and whiffing for being able to catch the ball out in front, creating the backspin and the loft to hit the ball out of the park. And you mentioned to me a little while ago about the Braves' approach as a whole because they've hit what was the number 215 home runs coming into today yeah. on the year, which is ridiculous. The, you sent me the tweet. The Guardians have hit 200 home runs since the start of 2022, right? So, yeah, I think it was 255 this year or something of that nature, and the Guardians have hit 215 since 2022. So, like, they're doing it. And I think one of the things, and, and this is kind of more of a question, but, you know, they're, you mentioned them staying up the middle, you know, staying middle backside and then still being able to, um, you know, hit for power while catching the ball deeper. And I think – by doing that, maybe they're sacrificing some of that, or they're not sacrificing the getting the fooled and whiffed by having to catch everything out in front. And you look at Olsen's hit spray chart, and you see more power to the left center and left field. You know, he's going the opposite way for power more. And, you know, you look at that season he had in 21 where he hit 39 homers, and it was like there was like two or three to the left of center field. Well, now this year there's like a dozen from dead center over to the left field line. 
And it's like, that's one of the things that kind of sticks out to me. So, you know, just kind of, I guess, more of a question here about, you know, that approach of staying up the middle and how, you know, what have they done to be able to, you know, still create the loft, even though they're catching the ball potentially a little deeper and trying to stay through the middle of the field? Yeah, I think it's, again, it's something that we go back to is is just flat out posture, right? And being able to make sure that your body's actually moving in the right direction. So I think it's almost subconscious of guys actually doing that. I think when you look at Matt Olson's career, you're talking about a guy who in 2019, when he hit 36 bombs with the Oakland A's, he was at 50%, 49.7 pull percentage, right? You're talking about a guy who, when he came up, he was all pull all the time, trying to yank homers and trying to do those types of things. And he's down now to a career low since his rookie season, um, which was he was at 35.4, or he's at 35.4 currently. He was at 35.3 that year during 2016. And it was always above 40 with the with the Oakland A's. And it's something that, a lot of people don't understand, right? When we talk about new age versus old school and all of these things that come into play, when you compare these things um, and swings and what goes into what works, you know, we've been taught, let the ball travel, let the ball get deep, focus up the middle. And a lot of people that might not understand the swing fully, right? They might look at that. I remember I will always go back to this because I got into an argument with some kid on Twitter way back when I actually had Twitter fingers involved and, and wanted to get in an argument. And his whole theory was that Aaron Judge should pull the ball more. Right. And I remember saying, you don't understand that the process of hitting the ball the other way in batting practice is what is going to allow him to pull the ball more. And he was like, no, that's not what happens. If you want to pull the ball, you pull the baseball. And it's like, okay. Um, that's just yep. not how it works. And I, and I think we've seen that with Matt Olson is sure there is a conscious effort to be more up the middle. There is a conscious effort to be more streamlined and take the ball and know that you have the strength to hit a ball out to deep center, right? That, that takes big boy strength. Not many guys can go there, but we've seen since he's come to Atlanta, more of a focus, I think subconsciously to make sure his body is oriented to take the ball the other way so that it allows him to get that contact point out in front and allows his swing to be so much more consistent. That's going to allow him to have the more success, which is why you're starting to see the strikeouts go down, batting average go up is because now he's trusting it, right? He's starting to see success. He's starting to get in a rhythm. He's starting to get on time for everything. When you're talking about a guy that in July or June, July, and August is hitting 320 each month. Um, and this is a guy who's also hitting 40 home runs. This is not your typical, you know, bat to ball contact guy who's going to spray the ball all over the field. Like he's trying to do damage and he's trying to hurt baseballs and being able to have it where his posture and his body is flowing to the big part of the field and allowing those balls to travel. All he's changing at that point is getting the head out a little bit further while he's still, you know, holding his posture and letting balls get deep. And then it's just backspin to the pool side. And if he does get beat a little bit, Hey, I'm, I can go backspin center. I can go to left. You know, I'll take a base knock the other way if I need to. Um, I know he's not exactly a singles guy the other way, but he's got a couple ground balls that have gone through the other side that are for knocks and, and some hot hits to left field this year. So it's a guy that's now becoming a well-rounded hitter 
all while flashing 95.1 miles per hour on the exit velocity. And we wonder what works so well with Freddie Freeman. It's that right there. Freddie Freeman talks about it's all about left center for him because that allows him to do everything. Now Matt Olson's doing his best Freddie Freeman impression in Atlanta. Yeah, and, and that's the funny thing is because I think part of the reason why people kind of slept on how good of a year he had last year is because he was trying to replace Freddie Freeman. And I think at the end of the day, there wasn't a winner or a loser. Like the, the Dodgers made out with Freddie Freeman, who's playing at an MVP caliber, and Matt Olson this year is playing at an MVP caliber, and it, it's fascinating. And, you know, I remember you talking about Mervis, talking about how that posture and trying to go middle away can help you pull the ball because I think that's because, right, if you, you can get top spinny if you start to try and pull the ball because you lose that posture. And and I think that's what a lot of people kind of don't understand is, is you know, a lot of these cues, like get the ball deep, is just trying to trick people into yeah. getting their body to move a certain way. Because to pulling a baseball, like you can't open everything up and lose your shoulder line. You have to stay in plane still kind of working through the middle. You just have to catch the ball out a little bit further in front of the plate. You can't yeah. completely lose it or you're going to miss hit it, right? And, and, and I, spin matters too, right? Like when we're talking about distance, spin matters a lot. Like right. we, I had this conversation with somebody. Um, I forget where it was exactly, but I remember being like, well, when you factor in spin, Right. And you factor in, it was actually, um, I saw somebody had posted something about swing planes and, and how guys with flatter bat pass or, or guys that do think downhill and the oppo gap, they actually outperform their expected stats by a certain margin because, um, for whatever reason. And, and my theory is that it's, it's simply spin, right? And guys who chase backspin, it's not about chasing backspin. It's about chasing true spin, true carry. It's no different than on the golf course. You don't want a ball hook. You don't want a ball to fade. You hit that true arrow that gets up to its apex and then drops in. That's how you get the most distance possible in terms of a golf swing. It's the same thing with a baseball, a ball that has that true carry, doesn't hook, doesn't fade, doesn't do anything, is going to get the most distance out out of the ball. So if you're going to, if you're a flatter guy who can get that backspin, right? Like when Luis Arias goes 89 to the pool side, right down the line, he's so flat and he's in the zone for such a long time that that ball gets out. But if, I mean, we saw it with Luis Robert last night, right? This video goes viral of him hitting a ball out of the stadium. Well, we used, I used to say that's cute because it goes viral on Instagram or on Twitter, but it's obsolete because it's just a strike, right? Congrats. You hit a ball 472 feet foul, but if it's not between those two poles that are out there in the outfield, it doesn't matter, right? Like it's, it's, a, it's a strike. Actually, it's worse. I'd rather have you take it at that point and, and take a ball or something or give yourself a shot. So like there are guardrails to playing baseball as much as people don't understand that with the swing. So by thinking things like holding your posture and not understanding that your bat has to hit a ball flush, right? It has, the barrel has to meet the ball perfect and the ball has to come off with a launch angle that's good, but also with the correct spin so that it can get the necessary distance that you're hoping to get when you do that. And again, like, like I said, Luis with Luis Robert is he yanks that ball foul a pitch that was in the strike zone. He was just way out in front, loses his front side. Whereas Matt Olson, what Matt Olson's doing right now, and Robert's having a great year. I'm not taking anything away from him. He just got a little jumpy on an 87 mile per hour changeup that sat up in the zone. That's going to happen to guys. But 
when you look at what he did, Matt Olson hits that three three rows deep right now, at least. Probably upper deck, probably big part, you know, right center gap. Um, because he's able to think, oh, I gotta let this ball get deep, and then it happens to be that change up and he doesn't change anything and it's just flush and backspin. And I remember specifically you brought up Mervis again. I went back and I looked at Mervis highlights at Duke and then obviously his highlights in college. And you know what the first thing I saw in his first at bat in, in college was? A bomb foul. Right. And then I looked at his, his highlights at AAA last year and it's, oh, subtle change. And I knew right away. I'm like, that's, that's what he's doing. That's the subconscious change that Mervis had made and what allowed him to get to the big leagues as an undrafted free agent guy with a ton of potential. And that's what the Cubs have emphasized with him. And it's really clicked, obviously, with the with the success that he's had. It's the same concept. And then you just do it with a guy like Matt Olson. And you're talking about 95 mile per hour off the bat and, and being able to spray it all over the field. You're going to have a lot of success. Yeah, I don't have much more to add because you just you just <laughs> you just educated us all. But it's just the posture thing, right? I think people don't realize that. And that's the biggest thing for me, and that's what Kevin Long has really been successful with, right? And you look at guys like Harper and stuff. When Harper can take ninety eight up and away, when he's locked in the NLCS, he lets it get deep. He keeps his he holds his posture, and instead of trying to yank, you know, think if Harper's trying to pull a ball like that or tries to spin and he comes out of his posture, that would have been a, a double play ball to second base. Yep. And the Phillies would have never, you know, who knows what happens. I got to go back to San Diego, but he holds his posture. He lets it get deep and it's a home run to left center. And, you know, there's so many guys like that, that if you look at their posture and again, you just go through that Braves lineup because in my head, as you talk about it, like just place like Acuna and you can see him just that Mm -hmm. finish of him just holding that posture this way. Albies is the same way. Um, And it's obviously been really impressive to see what they've done. Um, And and you hit a lot of buzzwords there that would make a lot of people mad. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think, and again, that's one thing that uh, I always try to balance, right, when I talk hitting is that, like, I am new school. I mean, you know that, like, I think anybody who's talked to me knows those things, but I do think there is a right way and a wrong way to teach hitting. And I think by not being able to be adaptable and not being able to tap into those buzzwords while also teach a guy to hit like it's 1960, you're doing a disservice to every hitter you've ever worked with, right? Like if I can't have a Matt Olson work, walk into the cage and tell him, hey, why don't you freaking take out the shins of Arcia out there fielding ground balls right now and understand because I always used to hit guys with like, hey, on top to shortstop is going to open up the pull side homer, right? So like I would always give them like the result that we wanted to see ultimately. Like I don't think Matt Olson goes into the cage and it's like fired up when he hits, you know, backspin balls off of RC his shins at shortstop while he's trying to field ground balls. I think he understands now because he's an elite athlete with elite movement patterns that an elite awareness of his body that, okay, this mental thought process allows me to get to the pool side, but some guys do need to think hard, as hard on top as you can get, and just right down into the dirt. I mean, Christian Yelich, like Barry Bonds, the thing that clicked for Christian Yelich, right, was trying to hit balls off the plate. Is that what you teach a guy to hit 40 bombs in a year? No, not necessarily. But it obviously worked for Christian Yelich because he was it was allowed him to become more adaptable as a hitter. So yeah, I mean I'm I'm gonna tap into buzzwords that are gonna make people not happy, but I'm also gonna cover the tracks and be able to make sure they know that I can teach hitting the same way that that 
they wanted it to be teach because I'm going to more lean on the side of what's going to work for, or at least what I feel like is going to work. It's not a guarantee to work, but at least what I feel like is going to work for that individual. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you said, there's a right way and a wrong way to teach people how to hit. And I think there's people teaching the wrong way to hit that would fall on the side of new school. And there's people that are teaching the wrong way to hit that fall on the side of old school. It's not that simple. You know, it's not as simple as, and I, I don't, I wish I could credit who I heard say this or saw say this, but I can't, but it was talking about batting practice and how, you know, if you, if you don't have the ability and understand, you know, what you're doing in batting practice to, you know, hit the ball the other way, hard on top, whatever it may be, then you're never going to have the ability to hit home runs in the big leagues. You're just not because, Mm-mm. you know, so much of, of what you've talked about tonight, you mentioned it with judge, you know, that argument you had with judge and, and going the other way and, and talking about Mervis and, and, you know, even some of the stuff you did when you were coaching still of like being able to just, you know, again, I know we mentioned this with Colton, like you kind of have to be a con man sometimes as a coach, because you're just trying to trick your player's body into moving the appropriate way. Um, and sometimes I think we lose that. Yeah. A lot of times I think we lose that. Um, and I, a lot of times we get target fixated, right. On what mm-hmm. we believe is true. Like, again, I'm, I'm not air and I'm not sitting here saying I'm Kevin Long and, and I have this intelligence that somebody who's in the big leagues has, but I'm not arrogant enough to think that what somebody else teaches won't work for one of my guys. Right. Like if somebody came in and, and again, like the, the age old example is sure. Every, every single Twitter fan and and old school guy can fight teacher, man. But at the end of the day, who hit 62 home runs last year? And again, teacher man didn't hit 62 home runs, but Aaron judge, when he came up in the big leagues was whiffing 50% of the time and and couldn't tap into power at his six foot eight framing. He finds this guy in St. Louis and, and the guy changed and revitalizes his career. Right. So you can fight teacher man all you want, but there's something he does or is if Aaron judge came to you to a rod and wanted a rod to give him tips in the cage and a rod tried to change his swing from what has been working. A rod would be the fool, not Aaron judge. Right. And not the athlete. We have to find what works for the athlete individually is the most important thing. So it's, it's same thing on every every person that has success with these hitters, right? The Doug Lattas of the world, the Los Angeles Dodgers and all those guys that have developed with them. And then outside of that, I mean, we heard Colton say it, right? The Dodgers didn't tell belly to do that. Right. The Dodgers, the Dodgers who could develop, you know, me and you, if they gave us enough time. Right. And it feels like they're that good at player development that even they make mistakes and even what they find can't work for a certain guy. It's just the ability to tap into what's going to work for the individual because not everything's going to work for the individual. I do think there are core values, at least of what I consider in a swing that's going to work consistently. I think Matt Olson's pretty darn close to it, uh, burgeoning it back to the conversation because even we're looking at a guy that's having a lot of success on four seamers when he hit 182 against him in 2020. Now he had a down 2020, but even in 2019, again, this was the stick of age. So a lot of balls were spinning a lot more than they, than they used to, but you're looking at a guy that has a uppercut swing he's hitting 283 on four seamers this year and nobody throws four seamers down in the zone anymore talking about a guy who's probably getting attacked on the heaters up in the zone his and he's handling it because he's flat because he's holding his posture and he's and he's working through the middle part of the field and it's allowing him to be in you know in any other year without freddie free doing what he's doing and ronald doing what he's doing you're probably talking about the mvp 
68.9% hard hit rate on four seamers. He's mushing four seamers. Just for yeah. comparison's sake, just because of a guy who's having, you know, a good year. Um, and I'm not attacked. This is not an attack. I said I was wrong. Francisco Lindor's having a great year. He's OPSing 802. An 802 OPS is, is above league average. I just want everyone to know this is not an attack. It's 100 points over league average. But his hard hit rate on four seamers is 51%. I'm using that to show how good Matt Olson's been. Yeah. That 20% different hard hit percentage on, on four seam fastballs. Like, yeah, Olson's going bonkers. Well, and he's not giving up anything else. Like last no. year he got – so, and this is where I know there's progression. And again, if anybody in the Atlanta Braves per organization wants to come and, and talk to us about this, because this is all theory, this is no, no fact, but you're talking about a guy who's sinker, Last year, ate him up, right? He hit 260, which is great, right? Hitting 260. He hit 240 on the year last year. But look at the power numbers. 377. Hard hit rate was fine. 56% hard hit rate. But what does that tell me that we don't have here on Baseball Savant? Launch angle. Right. So he's in the process of flattening out from a guy who in 2020, the four-seamer ate him up. In 2019, the four-seamer he didn't do well against him in 2018. He's in the process of molding his swing to get that, which is why he crushed the four seamer last year. He was great. Um, but sinkers ate him up. Well, now he's taken that next step where his bat path is so much better. He's more on plane. He's able to get to the high four seamers, but also not give up the sinkers that are down in the zone. You're talking about a guy who this year is hitting 286 this year with a 635 slug. So that means he's getting it in the air this year with a 58% hard hit rate on sinkers. So he's covering down in the zone. He's probably covering down in the way. I can guarantee that if he's having that much success and he's covering the four seamer up in the zone. And you're talking about a guy who has no flaws. He's clobbering sliders this year. He's clobbering changeups. And that's what Juan, like we talk about what makes Juan Soto elite. This, yep. the ability to cover the high four seamer. We saw him take Garrett Cole off the tracks in the world series. We saw him take Justin Verlander way back in the world series. We've seen him take, you know, Jacob DeGrom low and away, change up the other way for a double. We've seen him cover those pitches. That's what Freddie Freeman's doing, and that's what's making him so successful. And last year laid the foundation where he wasn't great last year, but it laid the foundation for what he's been able to be this year, which is one of the most complete hitters in baseball. Matt Olson, not Freddie Freeman. But yeah, I completely agree. Did I say Freddie Freeman? Mm -hmm. Sorry. Well, both Very similar. Really, I mean, yeah, they're both going. Both are both really happy. good. Freddie Free does huh. it in a little different way. Maybe yeah. we'll have to do something similar uh, early next week and, and talk about Freddie Free in the same way. because. But I guess Freddie Freeman, it just doesn't come as a surprise when he does what he's been doing this year. But 344 with some power is unreal to be putting up those numbers. Yeah. The, sh yeah. the shift has not hurt Freddie Freeman's career. Nothing. Nothing hurts that guy in, in hitting. So, Dan, any closing thoughts before we let our listeners get out of here? Yeah, actually, I have a quick question for you. Just just yeah. let's just some quick standings update and, and uh, current event stuff. I just want to pose a question to you and just give me your quick reaction. Out of Toronto, so Toronto holds the last wild card spot. They lost again to today to Cleveland. They're only a game and a half up on the surging Mariners. We're 10 games over in the Mariners pitching staff. We can talk about one day because, wow, I'd like to be in their position for the next seven years. Um, but Mariners are game and a half back. Boston, four and a half. New York, five. Los Angeles, six and a half. Who do you take the, the most serious out of that group? With the Blue Jays included? Blue Jays included. The Blue Jays, um, I will preface it with like, 
again, I like all those teams uh, to a certain extent. The team that I think is probably in the best position to make a move, and I know they weren't aggressive during the deadline, has to be the Red Sox. I mean, you're talking about a team that's getting Chris Sale back, I think as we speak, um, if I'm not mistaken, it might be tomorrow. And then you just add Trevor Story to that roster that was already putting them in a position to be at least ahead of the Yankees. You're adding two guys that you're paying a lot of money to be top of the line players for you. They have a really good shot to to push some things. And I know they weren't aggressive during the deadline, but I'm really liking how that roster shapes up. But I think in terms of the overall talent, that lineup in, in Toronto, Kevin Gaussman's been absolutely lights out one of the best pitchers in baseball and i love kevin gosman as much as anybody i like that team but seattle's obviously on it that's going to be a fun one to run down at the end of the year because i mean just all of those teams deserve to be in the playoffs quite frankly there's not a team that that you listed um that i wouldn't say their roster is good enough to be in the playoffs i mean you look at the yankees rotation when right and healthy they're good enough to be there and they got the best player in the league um outside of Shohei otani and and so it's going to be a fun AL wild card race, no doubt about that. Agreed. And I have a lot of thoughts on the Mariners that uh, might be best held for the offseason. But um, all right, in the NL, real quick, Miami holds the last wild card by half a game on the Cubs, a half game on the Reds, Arizona two and a half out. We can keep talking about them, but San Diego is on another four game losing streak and they're back to four and a half out. Yeah, I mean, give me, three days ago, I would have been banging on the table for San Diego, and, and it's hard for me because I sit here and I my whole philosophy on, on how I predict the season or how I predict anything is based solely off of talent. And we sit here where San Diego is still in a position to make a move. I trust them simply more than the teams in front of them. Arizona is a young team that seems to be reeling at this point in time more than the, the Padres have been, and they've been able to run them down at least a little bit. It's hard for me to sit here and not acknowledge the fact that San Diego, out of all of those teams, is the most talented, and we're still holding our breath waiting. Again, I might be dying on that hill. Um by doing that the Cubs have been playing great baseball I don't love their pitching staff I I just don't um and we'll see how their lineup holds up but they've been great I mean Christopher Morrell's great Bellinger's putting up absurd numbers um this year and and he's probably going to win player comeback player of the year but I have a hard time not believing that with as long as the San Diego Padres are in striking distance I still believe they can make that move because they're again. I thought it was coming. I, I literally thought it was coming, and then they they sleepwalk through the Mariners series, and you're like, "What? What is wrong?" It's with what you they've at done this all point? year. It's what they've, it's what done, they've done all year. It's what they've done all season long. And and again, I'm tired of waiting. I gave up on them a while, a while yeah. ago. But I think you you know, and it's just strange for them to be sitting here still five games under. Like you said, every time you think they've turned the corner, it's you know, it's two steps forward, it's ten steps back. Um. And then last thing, me and my brother had this conversation earlier today, and I, I think it's an interesting one because um, I kind of posed it to him. But who wants to see that Brewers team in, the, in a short series with Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta all throwing the ball the way we thought? Nobody. Um, <laughs> and remember our, our prop bets. That's that's one of my sleeper picks for the, for the World Series for that reason. Um, I think their lineup could be better, but they're finally getting healthy. Freddie Peralta looks like – the Freddie Peralta we've come to know. Corbin Burns looks like the Corbin Burns we've come to know. He's manipulated his pitch mix a little bit. Woodruff was really good in his two starts, three starts before he got banged up. Shoulder gave out, and he's back, and he punched out nine in five innings. So obviously his stuff's still there. I mean, nobody. no, There's not a single team that would, 
would tell you that they want to see that that team and and that pitching rotation specifically is just I mean they're unreal. Freddie Peralta, Freddie Peralta in his last three starts, okay, he's given them 19 innings. He's punched 33. So for those yeah. of you out there, that's 11 punches a game, and he's walked two guys. Yeah, he's back. Yeah, that's it. Like that, a three game wild card series, you got to beat those guys twice to, to move on. You only get three cracks at it. That would be fun. If the Padres get the last wild card and you got that lineup versus that pitching staff in Milwaukee, that would be probably the most exciting wild card series we would have. Yeah. Well, also, we'll give ourselves a pat on the back. I brought up the prop bets. We had our first prop bet cash this year. Spencer Torkelson over 16 and a half home runs. Hit his, hit, he had two last night. Um, passed it on August 10th, and he's having a down year. So I'm glad I made the right call on the fact that he was going to be all or nothing power guy this year. Who would have thunk it? Uh, and then Christian Yelich is, is rounding into uh, – rounding into passing our next one and, and hopefully he'll uh he'll pass it by the end of the weekend or so so we can cash another one of those in so looking pretty good there dan it was uh it was a pretty good uh pretty good couple bets we had at the beginning of the year for for anybody who tuned into that episode that was good podcasting by you because we don't need to talk about some of our other you just highlighted the good ones because there are some clunkers like which one? Our MVPs and Cy Youngs are pretty clunky. Wow. I mean, my MVP in the AL it just hasn't been healthy, and there's a guy named Shohei Otani. We told you if you wanted that. to make money, just bet on Shohei Otani. But if you would want if you want to make big boy money you and something happens juice. to Shohei yeah. Otani, yeah, um, Corey Seager was a pretty good one. I mean, he is hitting three fifty three <laughs> with, like, with like a six fifty uh, slugging percentage. He just hasn't played enough. Um, he's still one of the best players in baseball and, and just unbelievable. But any closing thoughts other than other than our, our highlight? I also had I also got a lot of flack for saying Aaron Judge under 44 and a half home runs at the beginning of the year because I, I, I was we, playing I think, law of averages. But I think we said too that the injuries would be the biggest thing in that. But yeah, it has nothing to do with talent. Yeah. I don't think so. Tatis is gonna win it. You got Yoshida who now with uh Jung out. Jung out. You could be cashing that, yeah. Yeah, Wesneki doesn't look good. That was your end. No, that was bad. That was a heave. Javier and Wheeler, Cy Young's doesn't look good. Not good. And mine, there isn't one of mine. I know Cy Young's still wide open. If if Wheeler could get on a heater down the stretch here, I'd be still got a hope. He's got some ground to make up. The only one that looks, I mean, Shohei exists. So Jordan Alvarez, even though he's got, you know, he's missed a lot of time and he's still got 21 bombs, 283, but... Yeah, none of mine look very. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez decided to show up in July and August. I thought it yeah, would be a little bit fine. earlier. <laughs> that's okay. That happens. Our prop bets were where the money was at. Yeah. That, yep. uh, and our win totals were seem to be on pretty good standing right now, as it stands right now. Even though the Dodgers want to be the best team in baseball again, um, make it. They're going to make me sweat out that ninety four and a half, aren't they? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, they're going to push. They're going to push season. right up to it. Yeah. They are going to push right up to that thing. But you knew that, and I think I even told I you knew that, that that was going to yeah. be a sweater. Yeah, Yeah. oh, every day. I mean, now that now the Diamondbacks are making that 74-and-a-half look really far away. Eight straight losses, that'll do it to you. <laughs> yeah, seven, 18 wins feels like a lot right now for them. <laughs> for the way they're playing? They're two, I think no they're 2-and-18 since the break. Dude. 
Yeah. We were talking about that thing cashing in May. We were. <laughs> like, this thing, I went on our, our second half preview and talked about them holding off the Dodgers for the West. Yeah. They, they responded might... to me. My pep talk didn't work. You've had some. Maybe. You've had. Some, what do we want? We gotta ask our fans. What do we want to happen in the in the second half or in the rest of the season? Because we'll just have Dan predict the opposite with the Francisco Lindor heave, and then there's Diamondbacks holding off the Diamondback. Brutal. You're cursed. Man. Yeah, except I called the Marlins falling off a cliff. So they're sitting in a spot right now. Yeah, but they've fallen they, off a cliff. Okay, everyone else has fallen off a cliff, but so have the Marlins. They just they just got the um series win in Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. They don't they don't have too challenging of opponents chasing them down right now, it seems like. The, no. the teams that are chasing the Marlins right now can't get out of their own way. They're their own way. Like, but they, maybe everyone maybe Diamondback fans, if you're if we got any listeners out there in the Phoenix area, maybe you guys just go and stand for the entire next home series and clap the whole time. Yeah. Just cheer the boys on. They're working hard. They're trying. But thank you to our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple Pods, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes every Monday and Friday. We're going to work on when those two episodes are going to come out for the rest of the season. Always hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. Most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends and subscribing on the YouTube channel. Uh, And we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see all you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to and enter promo code backside ground ball to get twenty dollars off your first purchase maybe you want to go see some nba or nhl playoffs i don't know maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country no matter what event you're looking to go to our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals great seats at an affordable price you can't beat it make sure to enter promo code backside ground ball for $20 off. That's seatgeek.com, promo code backside ground ball.